This week on the Recruitment Flex, talent acquisition versus recruitment. What is the difference? Massive pay gaps for women in freelance work. Whose fault is it? And you should probably think twice before laying off your recruiters. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and as always joined by the brain, the brawn, the beauty of the Recruitment Flex, Shelly Billinghurst. Oh, yay, round of applause. <laughs> That's a big lead up. Do you know what? Here's what's happening, Serge. Over time, they say that either you start to look like your spouse or your spouse starts to look like you. So you're sounding like I used to sound and I'm starting to sound like you used to sound. <laughs> it's like we're morphing over personalities here. Like I love the long list of superlatives. <laughs> yeah. If I would ever ask for a hype man, you'd be the first person I would hire. So well, That's why I'd be your campaign manager. Well, exactly. I can always find great things to say about people. Yeah. How's it going, Shelly? I haven't talked to you as much this week. I know it's been weird with the summer ending. And the other thing that kind of threw me off here is Melissa took vacation. Melissa's works with me and I realized my dependence on her. So it did seem like a really strange week last week. What about you? It's a crazy week. Well, actually, they're going to last few days of summer. Yeah. Mallory's going into second grade and the twins. Well, they're going to preschool, but I think it's only in a couple of weeks from now. Thinking back to how you felt as a kid, do you remember what it felt like to go back to school in September? Yes, I do. What do you remember? I think after grade one, from grade two to like graduating, I don't think I look forward to going to school any year. I enjoyed the summer so much. It's basically freedom, go play baseball and hockey every day without worrying about it. And now I have to go study. You mean street hockey? Yeah, street hockey. Yeah, Yeah. street hockey. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me, what is your experience now with Mallory? Is she nervous about going back to school? Oh, not at all. She's extremely excited because she's going to see a lot of her friends and she's excited about who's going to be in her class. And I guess I was always looking forward to that in some ways to see who was going to be in my class and seeing the friends that I hadn't seen in a while, which... Growing up in the country was less often because you still saw them in the summers for her living in a bigger city. She hasn't seen summer friends since school ended. So she is very much looking forward to it. She's a very social person. Like she's the opposite of her dad. I hated the studying thing. I hated the sitting in a classroom for eight hours while I could be doing some really cool and fun stuff. How about yourself? Do you remember back to those days? Yeah, I was like, Mallory, I couldn't wait. It was like, okay, I've had enough of this. I want to get back into the routine. I love the schedule. Loved the finding out who's in your class and who's my teacher. I loved every bit of it. And I always had a new outfit on the first day of school. Always. I carried on that tradition with my kids. And there's been this kind of positive, fresh start. I would say, though, that it might be more of a gender thing because the boys were not so excited, mostly because it meant, like you said, they were always on the go, riding their bikes and something to do every single day. And then to have to sit 
for hours. And my boys, they love their sports. So having to sit all day, Chandler was okay with it. He's easy to adapt to anything. But I know Parker just dreaded it, being locked indoors. How do you compare like your first day of school to now, obviously we're adults and the first day of a new job. Do you have the same anxiety? How does that correspond? Yeah. Well, my personal experience, love it because I love change. I love challenge. I love meeting new people. So those same things about whether it was starting school or starting a new job, being in recruitment, there is a tremendous amount of anxiety around changing jobs. Because it's really those last few days where you begin to realize that, okay, I'm letting go of all the relationships that I had made at my last employer where I knew how to get shit done. I knew who to ask. I know where they keep things. I know where every dead body is buried. And you're about to walk in where nobody knows you. And you're starting all over. So I think a lot of people have really high anxiety. Because they say in life, some of the most stressful events, one of them, of course, is changing jobs. Mm. Half the population is more like, I can't wait. Like, what a great adventure. And the other half doesn't like the uncertainty. And that lack of structure is very scary for a lot of people. I think for me, it's the opposite. I love starting a new job because it's a brand new, fresh start. You get away with all the shitty things that were at the old jobs. And obviously you you miss out on the good things as well, but this is a clean slate. You're starting from scratch. The things that maybe you felt that you were weak or you learned from your last job, this is really the time to showcase a new person in some ways. I think after the first day, the anxiety really goes away and I really want to dig in and you have that new job, like energy that you really want to make a difference. Usually it dies off after three months, but <laughs> no, no, I'm and then, kidding. And, and then you go, oh, I think I might've made a mistake. I don't know. Have you ever had that feeling when you change jobs? I know I did once and I knew within the first three days I was like, oh my God. I was going to say that, like, usually I realize in the first week, now you're getting a real sense of what this culture is. You can tell by how you were onboarded. You can tell how people are, just how much they approach you, how welcome you feel. Because Mm -hmm. I've come into organizations that you definitely don't feel welcome. And that's not a good environment to start. And then you start digging in deeper into things that they told you during the interview. It was like, oh, I think that was a little bit of BS or overselling. <laughs> you know what, Serge? That just reminds me. I just want to give you one quick little update. And then I promise we won't ever have to talk about this again. Brooke is in her first week at her new job. Okay. She is 10 feet off the ground. Okay. The onboarding, the training, the people there, she really feels like she made a great decision. They taught her how to run the register. And the manager said to her, this is usually a three-day process. She had it in an hour. Good. Then they were showing her how they like certain things organized. They were like, this is the worst part of the job. And she was like, no, I love organizing stuff. (laughs) You know, I mourn the day that I ever hear Oh, not looking forward to going to work. Because right now it's just like endless possibilities. Everyone's really helpful and they're respectful and the training's been good. Well, don't worry. The world will suck that out of her. Don't say that. She'll become miserable like the rest of us very shortly. No, 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 no. Not at all. 
I do want to thank the people that volunteered to come on the show as last week we made a call out to get practitioners to talk of what they did and how they've accomplished and be successful in recruitment. So we've got a lot of episodes coming up. I think the first one is going to be a couple of weeks from now. So thank you for our listeners for volunteering. Yeah, brave, brave, brave. Not that we're hard on guests because, you know, we send out the script in advance. They know what we're going to ask. We agree on a topic. So anyone else that might be kind of on the fence, listen, we will be super nice to you. It's not as big and scary as joining a podcast. It's like a Zoom meeting and we're talking about something we all know a lot about. So the doors are still open. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you're interested, yeah. don't hesitate. And we do edit after the fact. So if you say anything really stupid, like I do pretty much every episode, we can just take <laughs> it out. Not. I do want to jump into this week's recruitment insights. And the first one I want to talk Mm -hmm. about, and someone asked me this question, is like, what is the difference between recruitment and talent acquisition? They can be synonymous for a lot of people, but there is a difference. And I'm going to give you a little bit of what I think the difference is. Basically, recruiting is what you're doing on a daily basis. And usually companies that have recruiters, but no talent acquisition strategy, they're pretty much always reactive. We have a role, we're going to go out and start recruiting as talent acquisition is the ongoing process of attracting and engaging talents. This is your process. This is your recruitment marketing. This is your employment brand. It's every element around recruitment, but this is the big picture. I've always described recruitment and talent acquisition this way. Talent acquisition is the strategy. Recruitment is more the execution and the tactical items. Shelly, mm-hmm. what's your take here? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I've always said recruitment is just that. It's transactional. We have an approved headcount for the year. If somebody leaves, we make a decision. Do we fill same with same or do we fill with a different type of skill set or person? That's recruitment. And recruitment does mean that you need to understand what is the job. You need to work with your hiring leader, still do your intake, but it is filling something that was already there. Or if your company's in growth mode, it's still filling vacant positions. It's all the activities you do today that helps us out this year versus talent acquisition is thinking about, okay, what do we need to do today that will ensure that we have the people we need three years from today? Even if you're thinking about the next two years, it's all the other activities that are long-term strategic thinking. I love doing both, oddly enough. I know you think I'm weird because I love interviewing, but I also love thinking about how do we get off the hamster wheel of constantly you know, vacancy fill, vacancy fill, and you're always with the same struggle. It's the same arm wrestle, got no budget, got no tools. Well, that's because you're not really involved in the end-to-end process of talent acquisition. And I think this is a challenge for a lot of organizations not understanding the difference and they promote people that are recruiters into really a talent acquisition space because whoever's leading your talent acquisition function should have a pretty deep understanding of technology, data, and how data correlates to getting business results, what employment brand is, what recruitment marketing is, where your budget should be, understanding programmatic advertising, understanding 
all these pieces that really give you the ability to create a structure. So you are not always in reactive mode, you are in proactive mode. And I've seen that too many times that organizations will just promote a recruiter that's a really good recruiter. I'm not saying not to promote that recruiter, but give them the tools and the training, the ability to be that talent acquisition person that is creating that process and structure that your organization needs to be successful, especially now in this type of labor market. If you are not sophisticated in your approach, you're just going to be left behind. Yeah, I agree. I would think you'd be better off to promote your recruiter so long as you hired a recruiter to begin with. Because the transactional piece is part of HR, right? HR builds the org chart. HR writes the job description. Then they hand it to you and you fulfill that vacant position as per the approved org chart. If that's all you're doing as an HR person, you're probably not the best to be in the bigger picture talent acquisition because it's not part of HR. It's part of marketing. Well, I I don't think it's fair to describe it just marketing because there's so many different elements. There's a little bit of jack of all trades, right? You need to understand marketing. You need to understand sales. You need to understand supply chain. You need to understand technology. You need to understand business person data. You need to be a real business person that can understand business process and put it in a way that your organization is well set up, similar as any other department. But you need strong recruiters. Every organization needs really good recruiters to be successful in talent acquisition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take up our next topic here. There's an interesting article, which was no surprise to me at all. There was a study done on the freelance economy. And we know that women have been slower to come back into their old jobs post-pandemic. And a lot of women have found a great opportunity to freelance. This study showed that men in the freelance economy or the gig economy make 48% more than women in some sectors. That pay gap is even wider for freelancers who are doing it as their full-time gig not just side hustle, like Upwork. Do you know, one of the things I learned when I first went out on my own and started my company, Higher Value, my business coach said to me, women will chronically ask for less money than men. This is as an entrepreneur, which I would say freelance is really that, like you are having to sell yourself as a resource or as a service. It's very similar to being an entrepreneur. So this did not surprise me at all. What are your thoughts, Serge? Well, there's a couple of things. It did surprise me because if you look at freelance, you're setting your own rates and I've done freelance, I've done consulting and I have set the rate that I think is what the industry is actually charging. Done tons of research to understand, okay, what is the going rate? And am I above, am I below that based on the experience that I can bring to the table compared to other people? So I set the rate that I feel is the value of where I stand in the market. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pay gap that women are going way cheaper. 
it's you at the end of the day, it's you that controls what you should be paid for the work that you are doing and you build that case. So I, I, I don't know how to feel about it. If you look at most of the industry, men are making way more in freelance. There is exceptions, like the exceptions were HR administrators and instructional designers. The gap wasn't as much. Why is this? How do we fix this? How do we give women the ability to post the race that they should be asking for? What's your thoughts? So here's where I believe technology can help because much like any sort of gender equity initiatives, if you remove gender and say you're bidding on this piece of work to whoever's hiring the freelancer, whether they're a man or a woman is irrelevant. If I have these skills, I can prove that I have these skills. This is the rate because when left to your own devices, this article went in to say that a fifth of women said that they would bill less than their male counterparts just to get and keep the client. I get it. If you're competing for whether it's the freelance work or a job, the way to get business is to lower your price. Well, every business wants a lower price. I think the fix for this is when there's a body of work, it's already set. I'm willing to pay $300 or $30,000 for this work rather than this bidding system. Like before we had pay transparency and nobody knew what the job paid. We all go in blind, have it be like an open, transparent process, like an RFP. Here's the scope of work. Here's the body of work. And everyone knows what the scope of the work is. I I get where you're going and it's not always an RFP. You mentioned at the start, like Fiverr and Upwork and a lot of freelance work is coming from those platforms. And it's very easy to see and put whatever rate you want to charge. Like, I'm not going to say I feel bad that women make less in freelance than men. We're going in competing for the same amount of business. And if I feel I'm worth a hundred dollars, I'm going to charge a hundred dollars an hour. And if you go in and to get the business, you feel that $50 an hour is what you're going to be happy with. Well, you are going to get the business. There's a good chance, but that's the game that you played. So I I don't know how to fix this aside from yeah. start so, asking for more. Here's the thing. I believe women, they're attracted to the flexibility that yeah. freelancing offers, right? Yes. And so with that flexibility, I think we've just been so conditioned that must be less valuable because we have the flexibility. And that is unfortunate because the more complex the work, the more likely it is that women will bid less. In fact, I think they said more than one third. Yeah. Is it that you don't want to be competitive or women will not be as aggressive about money as men will? What can men do to help with this? Well, I'm not saying lower your rate or devalue your work because whether your work is coming from Calgary or Manila, no matter where the work is coming from, there's a value to the work. This is an industry-wide issue. And I know it's been discussed extensively that is it the work itself or is it what people are willing to pay for it? Well, I think it's knowing your true work, right? Doing your research and not being afraid to ask for what you think you should get paid. There is transparency on what the going rate is, right? On those different platforms. And I know from my side of the screen, if I was buying a freelancer, do I go strictly with price? Well, guess what? No, I'm going based on this person's credentials, expertise, give me examples, and where are your references? It's a recruiting process, really. 
and being able to prove that you can do the work. So lower price isn't always going to win the business. No, in, in some ways it's going to hurt your business. I think it has the opposite effect because if you are priced a third what your competition is, that person is going to start asking questions like how much lower quality is this work going to be? Then it that takes you three that... times longer to do the same work. Yeah, exactly. That's the assumption. One last thing I want to comment on this, Serge, is, and can I have the last word? Of course. And that would be very few people are cut out to be entrepreneurs. And mm. freelancing is very much about being an entrepreneur. You've got to price the market. You've got to be willing to charge for it when clients don't pay. You've got to be willing to go and ask for your money. And so I would say that you go into it being appreciative for the flexibility that comes with a freelancer, but very few men or women know or understand what it means to be an entrepreneur and to be on that roller coaster. Because when this freelance work ends, you got to get back on that horse. You got to market again, then you land it again. It sounds like a good idea for most people because they want the flexibility, but the reality of running your own business, that's not gender specific. Very few people have the stomach for it and they're doing it just for now, right? Yeah. They're just doing it for now. Well, I think what happens too, when it comes to setting their rates, they you said look- I could have the last word. Oh, <laughs> I have a good point though. I think it's a really good point. Can I know. I- like no? whatever I say inspires you. Well, say exactly. that's thing. what you do. You inspire me. <laughs> but okay. Can I go quickly? Can I have the last point? I'll let you on the next topic. Okay. Okay. So I think the okay. one thing, and I made this mistake as well, is I went in and when I started quoting my rates, I calculated what I used to make working for a company. So I severely underpriced myself and in the initial freelance work I did. I was like, holy shit, this is not worth it. Then I'm like, okay, I'm going to triple my rate. And it's funny, the minute I triple my rate, I actually got a lot more business from it. But that's just my two cents. I am going to jump into next. We talk a lot about the importance of recruitment and talent acquisition within organizations. But anytime there's layoffs, we see the recruiters usually being in that first group. They're the canary in the coal mines. You know what's going to happen in your organizations. If your recruiters are getting laid off, it usually means there's more layoffs coming or Mm -hmm. there's going to be limited recruitment. Mm -hmm. We have seen in the news in the last little while layoffs here in Canada at Shopify, which recruiters were deeply affected. We saw it with article, uh, Apple laying off a hundred of their contract recruiters. And we've seen this through all the tech layoffs, recruiters or talent acquisition have been a big part of the downsizing or the layoffs itself. And being in that position in the past and laying off recruiters, when business goes down, then business picks up again, you are at a serious disadvantage and you've lost really good recruiters, build that relationship with the hiring managers. And now going out and recruiting new recruiters to come in, there is a severe lag time before they can be up and running at the same level as your institutional recruiters that were there before. So, One of the things when you look at downsides, maybe there's going to be less recruitment, but this is the perfect time to establish systems and process and playbooks. What's your take here, Shelly? You know, this is a recurring theme, whether it's Apple or oil and gas companies here in Calgary. When the price of oil was high, 
we would bring on half a dozen contract recruiters. Well, there's a reason your contract, because we know what goes up must come down. Yes. <laughs> Typically your core group are preserved. And those are the ones that are working on other things to ensure that when the price goes back up and we need to hire again, you've got that foundation built. So those people are typically kept. It just really ties in perfectly with our last topic around whether those freelancers are recruiters or those freelancers are software engineers. The fact is, if you're going to go contract, you need to charge enough because you have no guarantee. They can end your contract two weeks notice because usually most freelancers are not very good at reading legal contracts. They're not a lawyer unless you're a contract lawyer. So I think the same moral of the story goes here as well. You accept a contract role. You need to make sure you're charging sufficiently because when they let people go, you're back out on the street. You're having to start all over again. So you need to make enough that you're going to be okay until you land your next gig. Yeah, really good points, but also what we've seen with a lot of big corporations mm -hmm. that to take yeah. the upswings, they hire contract recruiters or yeah. RPO firms. So what we've seen in the tech sector is they're hiring recruiters, but they have a lot of internal recruiters that are getting laid off the minute the economy is going to be in trouble, which I think is not the right case. I do agree that if you feel that there's going to be spikes in valleys, that hiring a contract recruitment firm or just contract recruiter is the right move. But those people going in should understand that this is the case. If it goes down, I'm going to have to look for my next gig. That's mm -hmm. part of it. Where I feel bad is when it's a department, it's usually a tech startup. They've been ramping up pretty significantly and suddenly there's a little bit of downturn. It's like, okay, these are the first people we need to let go is that recruitment manager or that recruiter that's working with them. And now they're a severe disadvantage when the economy picks back up because their competitors are usually mm -hmm. still recruiting, have a head start. They're building talent pipelines. So when it does pick up again, they have a slew of people they can just grab right away. Well, what you've just done here, Serge, is you've absolutely built the business case for why go RPO. This is exactly why. Because as soon as you use the word layoff, your shareholders get nervous, your other employees get nervous. This is the business case for companies like Apple to use contract recruiters or RPO firms. That's exactly why they exist. So you can expand and contract without your shareholders freaking out because you've got an exit clause with your RPO provider. But what we're seeing with the smaller companies that are VC or equity-based, they were all about the growth. So do whatever it takes to be able to get that growth. But now they're starting to panic is, okay, you need to lay off people or you need to move people around. And recruiters have been the first one to let go. I've read probably six articles in the last two weeks. It's recruiters. But Shelly, last word yeah. on this topic. Well, do you know what? <laughs> My last word on this is I am going to quote something you have said and other podcasters quote you on this as well. We are the canary in the coal mine. When you see recruiters getting let go, the rest of the company should take this as a warning because that's what's coming next. So that's my final word is I'm quoting you. Love it. I love sure. your final word is me. <laughs> I know it always comes back to you. Our last topic here, Serge, do you know who Lisa Laflamme is? Of course. Oh, you do. As a Canadian, I think we all do. Lisa Laflamme has been a 
a news broadcaster in Canada. I don't know for how long, but she is a Canadian icon. And she was fired from her job at CTV News, which is owned by Bell Media. And she let her hair go gray, completely gray, like natural. I think she looks absolutely stunning. Like she's beautiful. And the suspicion is that because she let herself go, she got fired. Can you imagine? Do you think that's really true? Well, I think there's a lot more to the story than just saying, okay, because she let her hair go gray, which I agree. I think actually she looked fantastic. But Lisa Laflamme was the anchor at CTV News for 35 years. Where the challenge is here is there's a new person that came in, was not a fan of the gray hair. And it's leaked out that he made comments about it you look at any news network, so even if you go into the U.S. and you look at the men and you look at the women, you'll see plenty of men in their 60s, sometimes 70s. Like, they're aging. Like, everyone ages. And there's this tendency that when women hit a certain age, they're no longer viable to be in front of the camera, which is just a shame because Lisa Laflamme definitely has been a Canadian icon for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and what's really a shame is how they let her go. Anytime that there's a longtime news anchor that retires or is let go, they have their last show, they can give the audience a goodbye in a way they feel would be appropriate. This did not happen with Lisa Laflamme. They basically told her, we're going to let you go. You cannot talk about it. Then came out being that was your last day. It's done. So she had to go to social media, record her last message, which went viral. Then when we start digging in deeper, obviously there's stories that came out that Mm -hmm. there is ageism and sexism probably involved, although Bell Media has come out pretty aggressively saying this is outrageous. It's not the case of what happened. But of course, what else are they going to say? There's so many different stories of women on TV. When actresses hit a certain age, they're no longer the leading women compared to Like, look at Tom Cruise. All of these men, they're in their 60s, 70s. Clint Eastwood is the leading man, and he's, what, 94? It's not fair. It's not fair. To think that any media organization, whether it's CTV or the big U.S. networks, in this day and age, if you think for one minute that you can get away with something like this, because it was, you're right, it has been uncovered from other news journalists. Uh, that work at the CTV news. So if you truly have freedom of the press, you're not going to silence your own journalists. What did you honestly think would happen? Did you see Wendy's? So Wendy's, the yes. hamburger joint, changed her Wendy's into having gray hair, which I thought was a really interesting approach that a business would comment on another business. Without actually commenting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was very clever marketing on their part. Clever marketing for sure. And personally, I love gray hair. I think it looks great. I even told my wife, you should just let it go gray. And she said, there's absolutely no way. But Shelly, have you thought of just letting it go gray? I I am completely gray and I would never, ever do so. In fact, a friend of mine who was a job seeker, her hair was completely naturally gray. And after being like the finalist on three different interviews, she said she walked in and they had done like other phone interviews or screens up until then. And she said, I could tell by the looks on their faces, they were disappointed. She went and colored her hair. Oh, and she started her new job. 
this week, she did land a job after she colored her hair. The discrimination that women face for ageism is a real thing. And she knew it, like nobody said anything, but she could tell by the vibe in the room that they were disappointed that she looked older. We have to look at our own biases when we're hiring. And I don't think this bias is coming only from men. I might be wrong. Please correct me. Oh, no. I uh, listen, I would say other women are hard, harsher critics of women than mm. men. Honestly, it would be a cold day in hell when a man would say anything about oh, you're really letting yourself go there. Hey, Shelly, stopped using mascara or something. But other women will definitely say things. Well, Shelly, we covered a lot. Another week of the recruitment flex. What's yeah. on this weekend for you? We have got lots of exciting things going on. We've got our friend, Mr. Joe O'Connor, coming in town with Busy Recruiter. And we're going to go out and talk to some of our customers and look for new ones. So it's a busy week and I'm excited because I love busy recruiter. I think it's a great product and it just, it performs well. I'm very much looking forward to, to see Joe. I haven't seen Joe in, in over a year and I've done some work for busy recruiter. So yeah, we are going to have dinner with him tonight, which should be yes. exciting. And then from there, I'm just making sure the kids are all good to go to school and get them the hell out of the house. You are going to miss them. The house will be too quiet. Uh, I am taking Brooke out the night before school starts. On Wednesday, we're going to an event called Work the World. What is that about? You'll have to look it up, Serge. Okay, everyone look I it know. up. Yeah, you'll have to look it up. I know Chad Sowash would know what I'm talking about. But anyways, maybe you should ask Chad. I will. Perfect. <laughs> well, have a great week, and everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.